Hey guys, welcome back to The Deal. This is Danny Brown. This week's episode is superstar agent Dana Green from the Dana Green team, Northern California, the Lafayette, La Mirinda uh, area. She's truly a superstar agent, one of the top in the country, but also a great example of how to run your business like a business, treat it like a business, and have a full life around real estate. Uh, you can find Dana at any time at Dana H. Green. Uh, on Instagram and also the danagreenteam.com. She is fantastic, is dropping all sorts of knowledge. This is a master's class in real estate. So listen up, rewind, play it again, send it to every agent you know, and please do us a favor. Can you subscribe to our Apple podcast, The Deal with Danny Brown, and our YouTube channel, The Deal with Danny Brown? Leave us a comment. Every comment and every person that subscribes helps our ratings, helps our following helps me do what I'm doing. And I, I'd really appreciate that if you can let other agents and real estate related people know we have a, a large catalog of really interesting top, top dogs in the real estate industry, real estate developers, so on. So we appreciate it. Enjoy this episode with Dana Green. School is in session. Welcome back to The Deal. Today's guest, Dana Green. How are you? Good to see you. Welcome to The Deal. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you on. You're one of the top performing agents in the country and in Northern California and Lafayette. Uh, why don't you, excuse me, why don't you give us a little breakdown of the areas you work and what the market's been like for you guys. Here we are, first quarter just ended, 2022. Kind of walk us through what's happening in your market and some key sales so we get a sense of what's going on in Lafayette area. And I know it's not just Lafayette, but yeah, no, I'm I'm in a little market about 25 miles east of San Francisco. It's a suburb um, that comprises three different cities. So it's the city of Lafayette, the city of Arinda, and the town of Moraga. And they combined to make one name called La Marinda. So I am in the La Marinda marketplace, specializing particularly in Lafayette. And the market is wild. So I was just looking at stats yesterday for Lafayette, breaking it down by really marketplace, how much is the median price up already in 2022 at the end of the first quarter and literally anywhere from 16 to 40% up. So our market is doing extremely well. It's been hot. You would think with everything going on in the world here, we've got this really interesting time with all these geopolitical tensions, rising interest rates, we have got um, really inflation surging and COVID is still out there. We don't really know it's lurking, but we don't really know what it's doing. And yet people still need to buy homes and still want to make changes. So as interest rates have ticked up, um, we have seen buyers get more and more aggressive, trying to lock in those interest rates, trying to get their home that they're going to be in the next, I really think, 10 to 20 years. I think they're going to lock in rates. And if rates rise, they're not going to want to move. So aggressive buyers, multiple offers on almost everything. Last week, I think I looked at 33 offers over three houses. And um, I know like it's nuts. It's nuts. Average. It's a good problem. It's a good problem to have. And luxury in our market really has changed it. You know, it used to be a two and a half and up. Now it's really three and up. Our market caps, um, the highest sale that we've had in the past six months was a $12 million property. Um, but we see many more three, four, five million dollar homes. And then our entry price point has moved up to about a million and a half dollars for a tiny single family home. Okay, well, that's a quick, good snapshot. So you're saying a million and a half is your entry level bungalow, smaller home. Did you say two to four was more your everyday family home? What would a, what would a $3 million house look like, uh, like approximately in terms of size, just so we have some context? Um, so we're really looking at about $1,000 a square foot. Okay. So if you have, you know, a 1,500 square foot home, you're probably somewhere in that million and a half range. But does the price per square foot go higher? Yes. Um, we are seeing some $1,300, $1,400 
a square foot transactions happen really at all sizes. And that's new for us. $1,000 used to be pre-COVID was really the barrier and that has shattered. And we don't see people paying as much attention to that right now. They're more house specific. So, so the, yeah, they're really, they're driven for the house that meets their needs. So the houses, let's just use the reference because it's real time. You had three mm-hmm. listings, 10 offers each. What were the price points? Just so we have an idea of the activity at the price point. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we had price points in uh, the high ones, um, extremely active, high twos, extremely active. And then we had one over four. And um, most of the offers are coming at lower price points, but we can see a $4 million property go up a million dollars. So um, we have everything from going up just a couple of percent to going up 40% in our marketplace, depending upon how that home is priced and depending upon activity. And then when you were referring to how much uh, it's gone up 10 to 40%, are you talking sales price or are you talking sales volume? What do you- Yeah, so about? we judge it by the median price. Median so price. we go in and look at median price. Versus and a year so, ago? Uh, versus a year ago, okay. correct. Yeah, so Serious it's up growth. a lot. Serious growth, and obviously. Serious growth. We're an interesting market, though, because we are east of San Francisco. And with work from home, it's become easier. If you have an office, for example, on the Silicon Valley, you're down in Palo Alto, but you want to live in Lafayette, used to be a brutal commute. But now, um, with flex schedules, with kind of remote hubs, for tech companies and different things, people are now able to come into this La Mirinda suburb in the East Bay and get incredible schools and a great lifestyle. And so we're seeing that transition, but it is mostly two demographics. I look, either have really young who have done incredibly well in tech, finance, other segments of the market, or I have young empty nesters who are, I'd say probably 55 to 65 and their kids have moved. And so they might be on the peninsula, but their kids have moved to the East Bay or La Mirinda. And so they are choosing now to make that move. And so it's interesting to see those two demographics really have to fight for our houses. You're about a half an hour drive to the city, to San Francisco. Yeah, we're 25 minutes east. Public transportation takes about a half an hour. But if you're going to drive, it's an hour. It used to be up to two hours, depending upon commute patterns and traffic. But you can take uh, you can take a train or something, for, and it's a half an hour? You can take the BART train, yep. BART. So Lafayette and Arenda have good old BART. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, good. Yeah. That gives us a, a good snapshot. So let's pivot and get to you and your story. So why don't you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about where you grew up and where you went to school and uh, how you ended yeah. up in real estate? So guess what? I grew up in Lafayette, California. So <laughs> here I am back in the same city that I have lived most of my life and um, really had parents who were very involved in the community. So my father was, you know, Worked on the Parks and Recs Committee for the city of Lafayette, was in industrial real estate, and my mother was a school teacher. And I lost both of my parents young. So when they passed away, the community rallied around us each time. And I think we learned from a young age, I was just 16 when my mom died, how important community was and how incredible um this this community could be for anybody who needed anything. And that sense of community is what brought brought me back when um, I had graduated from college, married um, married my college sweetheart, went to University of the Pacific. He went on to McGeorge School of Law. So we moved, got married between um, college and his finishing law school lived in Sacramento for a brief stint. And then as quickly as I could, we moved back to Lafayette and that's where we wanted to raise our kids. So um, other than a few years, you know, growing up, going to college, getting married, I have been here and still see that sense of community and pride 
And it's something that's really important in my life. Well, you are definitely a local expert. That's for sure. I am a local, yes. Your yes. parents were entrenched yes. in the community and you were entrenched. Did you have siblings growing up? I do. I have two sisters and they are also both in Lafayette. Okay. So Great. all three of us landed in the same place and chose to raise our families here. So, which is know, great. Very, very interesting because a lot of this is one of the trends I see with top brokers that do very well in certain local markets that they grew up there, that they had family community, that mm-hmm. they really understand the un the, the the intangibles and things that you can't really quantify on paper. Those people like yourself mm-hmm. uh, have that that insight and that experience and the nuance. There's so many nuances. You know, in yeah, real estate, uh, and you're not going to know those nuances unless you've really lived somewhere for sometimes no. generations. <laughs> it's true. Generations. Now, it's really interesting because at this point, I have my parents' generation, although I've lost mine, some of their friends still living. And then I have my generation. And then now I have young adult children, um, and their generation is starting to come back and buy houses. And so the connection, the history, the ability to tell stories, to share and educate someone on this community is huge simply because of that history. All right. So, yeah, it's full circle. Your parents, your kids, you. So, okay, you went to you. You went to U of P. uh, You went to you grew up here. Your husband and you both came back here. What got you into real estate and when was that? Yeah, so I had um, my background is public relations, community relations, marketing. And so when I worked for a restaurant group doing marketing, when I had my first child and they let me take that restaurant group as my first account, I opened up my own little marketing company and then had um, accounts that ranged from a children's wildlife museum to the Exxon oil refinery in the city of Benicia and just had different accounts, loved all of that, but got to a place where Exxon was my largest account. They sold to a different energy company and said, come in-house. And that just wasn't a time in my life where I wanted to be in-house. So we were at a place, I had little ones. Um, My youngest was in preschool. I think my oldest was kindergarten age. And I decided to make a change and had been watching real estate through staging, which was a brand new industry. And I have a passion for design. I love architecture and decided that I wanted to help market houses through staging. So instead of, and by the way, I didn't want to be a realtor. I didn't want the schedule or the life of a realtor. I wanted to ski on weekends and be there for my kids and different things. And funny how all that goes out the window. But um, I did start a staging company and got to the place where I was staging many, many houses a month, but I was at the whim of other people's schedules. So realtors are notorious for not being extremely organized or having changes or different things. And it would be I need you to stay this stage this day. No, no, no. That date's gotten moved. I need you to stage two weeks later. I need you to do this, that. I was shoving couches through doors, schlepping. And what happened though is because I knew the community and I'm so connected here, I started finding buyers for the houses that I was staging. And so I would go to the realtor and say, I think I've got a perfect buyer for you. And I get a very lovely bottle of wine. And I thought, okay. I'm going to go get a license so that I can at least get a referral fee. So got my license, ding, ding, hung my license. And the very first family that called me to stage, I said, I do need to disclose. I am a licensed realtor, but I am happy to just stage. And they said, you know what? We know you, you know us, please do it all. Do it all. And I, I did, loved it. And really have never looked back because it combines everything I love. So if you think of that sales, marketing, PR, community relations background, and then that love of architecture and design, and it's just a really good fit. So you start to do something you love and you realize it becomes part of your life. 
And it's not, you don't have to have work-life balance because you love what you're doing. And yes, my Sundays and skiing um, are not very good anymore thanks to this profession, but I love what I do. And uh, the reward has been far greater than making a few changes in my life. So your X Games dreams went out the window skiing every weekend and competing. Oh, yes, they did. But That's, which is just <laughs> fine. Now we can just take a few ski vacations a year. But um, no, it's it's interesting how you can take this job. And we're so fortunate that it really does. You know, it is 24-7. However, you can make it work with your life if you love what you're doing. And you have to love this industry, this job, the people you work with to really um, be able to thrive. And I think that's just something important for people to know. If there are things you do not like, you cannot just hire out everything you don't like. You have to, you know, really wrap your arms around every single segment of this profession to excel at it and to thrive and grow with it or you resent it. That is pure wisdom. I'd like to repeat and repeat that loop. I'm going to play that in my office over and over. Find joy. <laughs> yeah. So no, you just got to find the joy. In you it. do. You do. And when you love something and are passionate about it, the stresses and the resentments drop because you're yeah. enjoying what you're doing. And it's really fascinating that your passion for design, staging, et cetera, launched you into being a broker or real estate sales. So is that something you continued to do today? Or yeah, so I have a whole, yes, thank you. So I have a staging company. So I kept my original company and um, I am past the days where I carried all the furniture and did all the work. I still um, am involved and love the, of course, buying of the different items and the really the strategic part of it, trying to figure out what what look matches up with the buyer pool that is going to be interested in the house. So, you know, if you've got a mid-century modern house, you want to go in and have fun in a mid-century style to attract that young buyer. If you have got a very elegant, sophisticated house, you may not want to make it mid-century modern. Um, you know, you're going to go in and you're going to do it differently. So I love the strategy that goes into why we stage. And I really like seeing the difference that it makes. So for that reason, we still do stage all of our listings. So last year I had 137 transactions, 55% were listings, 100% were staged by our team. Wow. 100%. You said 136 yeah. of like 60 to 70 listings, all staged. So you have a massive staging business. Just yes, awesome. yes. No, we do. In fact, we're moving out of seven individual warehouses into a 13,000 square foot warehouse next month. And we could not be more excited to have it all under one roof instead of seven warehouses side by side. And are you ever now just doing staging and not listing it or it's it's all together or sometimes will it's, someone just say stage it? Hear that? Whoops. I, I no, was, you broke up a little bit. I was, I was just saying, is it always a house you list that you stage? It's not like you're just staging and not listing something. Yes. Yeah, so, so we only stage. So my staging team only stages our listings. And so it's proprietary. It's an advantage for our listings. It's part of our brand at this point. So we really don't want to take our brand and take it other places. But more than anything, it's um, part of what we do and the service we can offer to our clients. And they are so busy staging our listings that they couldn't, that, you know, we couldn't do, we don't have the bandwidth to help other people with that. Totally understand. Well, that's, that's a, such good synergy. And by the looks of the background on your Zoom screen, it looked very curated, staged, stylish, <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> yep. You got it. You got it. If only I could just live in a staged house all the time Don't move. and just not have right any there. of that clutter. <laughs> yes, exactly. So talk me I've through got the this timeline. Zoom background. 
talk me through this timeline. When did you get into real estate and with with selling real estate and state? And when did that start? And yeah. we'll, we'll talk about what your business looks like today. But I want to start with what it started like and what it did. It. Yes. So uh, about 18 years ago is when I made the switch from staging into full-time real estate. For the first, I'd say first couple of months, I did a little bit of staging to just get get things going. But I think I had 12 transactions my first year and enough that I could sustain myself and not do the staging except for my listings. I rapidly, before even a year had gone by, I did bring in a full-time assistant and realized that in order to do what I wanted to do at the level I wanted to do it, I was going to need help. And so started with a assistant who was fantastic. She is still working with me today, 18 years later, and is incredible. Jack of all trades, fantastic. She's a very high-level buyer's agent on our team. But um, we laugh at some of the stories. She told a story to my team of the two of us holding an open house, getting to the house, and our clients were out of town and gone and seeing two feet of like weeds and grass oh, in no. front of the house. And I looked at her and said, I, I can't have an open house with all of this. We had to go to a neighbor, borrow a lawnmower. Yeah try and mow the lawn in our high heel shoes, like sinking in the lawn, laughing hysterically. We got halfway done. We had about 20 minutes to go and we ran out of gas. And so then we had to knock on doors and find other neighbors that had lawnmower gas for us to finish mowing the lawn in our high heel shoes. And so we laugh. Those, you know, you definitely... Do it all in this business. Full service, service. there we go. I don't think I've ever done that one again, but we laugh at it. Um, So that's Sarah who's been with me a long, long time. Shout out to Sarah. That's very impressive. Yeah, shout out to Sarah. uh, She's got something good going on. She's doing something right. Oh, she's fantastic. So it's fun to see her evolve into an incredible agent. I then um, start growing a team. And wanted it, really wanted a team. And it felt like at that time there was no blueprint for a team. In fact, there's still no blueprint for a team. The definition of team is so different depending upon who you speak to. But I decided that I would grow a team of specialists. And what I saw in people were where were their strengths and how could we take their strengths and really turn that into an incredible career. So I um, brought on a buyer's agent. Then I brought on somebody to do, I believe it was our marketing, and then a listing lead. Um, So someone to work with me heavily on the listing side. And then a second buyer's agent, a second listing lead, we added now, now my team has 14 people and everything from operations and technology to, to marketing people to an agent in training um, in a one-year training program, working right now on the buying side of our business, learning everything. So at this point, my team all has their roles and agents that are incredible at marketing might be on the listing side and agents that are able to pivot and work in a fast-paced environment might be on the buying side. Um, so it's been a joy to figure out where are their strengths and where where can they thrive and then watching them thrive. So a lot to unpack here in a lot of different directions and questions of my mind, but what, what stands out to me is early on, you had the vision to say, hey, I need to delegate and I need to commit resources and and a budget Mm -hmm. to hiring an assistant and then bringing people on. And and that's not easy for a lot of agents. And I know it wasn't easy for me. Uh, Talk talk us through that time because that's early on to be committing to, you know, overhead and salaries. What were the challenges and the fears or what what was that like if you can bring yourself back to those first couple years or first five years of growth? starting to add people and be responsible for other people's livelihoods. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I think what I always did at the beginning was equate it to how many houses did I have to sell to pay for that person? So if I could sell six more houses, eight more houses, 10 more houses, then I could cover that income. And you take a leap of faith. So at the time I was in a Tom Ferry coaching program, had a great coach who kept saying, you need help. You can do it. Look forward, plan, set the money aside. And so with every transaction, instead of taking that income and just spending it, I would take the income and bank it and say, okay, this is going to the house. This is going to me. This is going to savings. And I started reinvesting back in the business versus enjoying really that compensation. And that's what helped me know that I could do this. And it was true. With each person that I hired, we could do more and we could do it more efficiently. And and we could create clients that became loyal clients that, you know, I look forward now and I have so many clients where we've done five, six transactions over this number of years. And so you build. But what everyone has to know is it's not perfection. And a lot of years where we flew by the seat of our pants and then we realized we needed to create process. And we, as we grew, process became more and more just important. But you can't just write process and shove it in a drawer and never look at it. You have to write it and then you have to revise it. And, you know, nothing's perfect. So people today often say, oh my gosh, you have a perfect team. I don't have a perfect team. We just work really hard. We write our process and we pivot and we recreate and you pivot. And so it's not, it's not a straight line. You know, it's weaves all over the place. It's not just exactly. Yeah. But you have to start doing it. You have to have your vision and your plan. And you literally just have to take step by step by step And when you hit those rough patches, you tweak and then you get energized and you just keep going, but you stay true to everything you've done. Um, And that's really been part of this building block to get to the place I am today. So I'm hearing that you're committed to reinvesting in yourself and Mm -hmm. your business right away. You weren't saying, hey, I'm going to go buy... uh, a new car, I'm going to buy bags, I'm going to go travel the world. You yeah. were, as you were having a little success and a little more success, reinvesting those funds, being very disciplined, treating business yes. like a real business, which is a conversation I often have with people. I always say, well, how do you make it long-term in this business? And the first thing I usually come across is, well, are you treating your business like a business? Mm-hmm. Are you putting the time in? So clearly your textbook you're the textbook example of really treating yeah. it like a real business if you wanted to run like a real business long term. Um, talk to me, though, a little bit about, like, weren't you fearful saying, I, I'm going to invest this kind of money? Like you said, hey, I looked at it, and I, I get that. If I can make 20000 and on a one sale and I could do three sales, I can hire an assistant. But weren't you still fearful? Or how did you have that leap yeah. of faith or confidence to say, I'm just going to dive in and, and go for it? You know what? I think I've always had just an I can do it attitude. But when you love what you do, you say, okay, I'm going to do this. And sure, I might stumble, might have a bad day, a bad week, a bad six months, but I can figure out how to get back up on my feet and I can look forward enough to reinvent. So you just have to have that philosophy of reinventing, but you can't stop even today you know, income still comes in and it still goes to a million different buckets so that you protect yourself so that if you need to hire somebody else or you lose somebody or you you go through a couple of months that are tough, you've got you've got that so that you're not you're not focused on money. You're not focused on each sale. You're focused on the big picture. And it's that big picture attitude and vision that I think keeps you going successfully. Love it. So it's your North Star, your big picture. And then day to day, there's a lot of challenges and obstacles and you're refining and recalibrating as you go to get to your North Star. But it's clearly not just a straight line. Sometimes it's step back, forward, up and down. That's, 
that's phenomenal. I love it. Um, there's so many questions I have. But uh, you're, you mentioned your team today is about 14. Can you break down how many agents versus how much support? Just so you bet. Yeah, so we have five agents that are working, buying and selling, and I'm included in that mix. And then we have one agent in training. Okay. So six, six agents, agents, the other eight are support and some licensed support as well. A, a substantial team and overhead to keep this thing going. So can you think back to some some really rough, challenging times in your businesses, whether it's, it could be what's challenging to you at this stage, could be what's challenging when the market crash, it could be anything. Yeah, kind of talk us through what, you know, the mindset and how you got through it. It, it certainly seems like mm -hmm. you have a very strong mental toughness, positive mindset that you take on adversity and make the best of it, learn from it, like a real, like what I call, uh, Mamba mentality, like the Kobe mm -hmm. Bryant winner mentality, that you're ready to yeah. take on any challenges and you're going to figure out a solution and a way to get better. But Yes. Yeah. And I love to, yeah. So I really, you know, I've been through market shifts where you go and, you know, you look back at 2008 and go, whoo, that was, that was phenomenal um, in that it was different. I'm sorry, I've got a dog barking. Um, barking? The golden retrievers, both of them are outside barking. So, um, oh, someone just came to the gate, probably Amazon. We'll just ignore yes. that. Maybe it'll distract them. Um, but back to this. So challenges. I think what you have to look at when a market changes, that's a challenge. And you have to say, I am going to, A, do everything I can to stay true to what's best for the client. So you have to keep that big picture. You can't get so dependent on one sale that you aren't thinking about what's best for the person. So you have to stay looking forward, but you also have to reinvent yourself. You can't be complacent. So you have to look and say, okay, we've got to price houses differently. What's the strategy in this market? What works? And you have to literally just take a transaction and say, I'm going to try pricing something this way. You have to study it. You have to figure it out. You have to put the time in to make that decision to try to do what you think is best for your client. And when you do that, you have a little bit of a success and you learn and then you tweak it again the next time. And so you learn that unless you really blow it. You don't ever fall off a cliff. You just have to quickly get ahead of the market and you have to figure out where is it going by looking at stats, by looking at patterns, by reading, to reach out to people in other markets, learn, educate yourself, figure out how you pivot. And that really, that's, that's really been the only major challenge for me. Um, I haven't had a year I honestly, I think I can say I haven't had a year where we've really ever gone backwards. So my growth has always been a couple of years of straight up growth, maybe a more level year and a third or fourth year, and then a couple more years of straight growth and a level year. If I look at what's been hardest for me is to realize that when you have a quiet week, it's okay. You know, your mind in real estate always goes to the fear of, Oh my gosh, is something happening? Is something changing? Um, even right now, you know, we've had a slower week this week. It's spring break week. Most of the young families are gone and off having a ball. And I'm wishing I could go on spring break again. Um, but my mind is saying, is it quiet because it's spring break? Or are the phones quieter than normal because perhaps our market might be slightly shifting? Even though I just saw the surge in prices and two weeks ago, I was feeling like this is the most incredible time I've ever seen in real estate. So it's that internal, like, what is it? And can I actually relax? Can I take a week and my goodness, go on an extra hike or a walk or read a book or do something different? Or do I have to be always looking forward towards that future and trying to think? and? The answer is, I think it's a balance of both. I think it's me 
on a quiet week, having to learn to just trust that my business is incredible. And even if the market shifts, we're not falling off a cliff. And the second part is also the listen to your intuition, because if it is quiet, it's probably not just one thing that's making it quiet. It probably is a slight shift. And maybe it's that the interest rates just went up so high that people are worried. You saw that yield bond yield curve, you know, maybe hint at um, recession. And then you read all these articles. Are we having a recession? Is this a bubble? Probably not that either, but you have to listen. So that would be my advice. You are dropping such uh, nuggets on us, and I and I love it. And you know, it's just funny. No matter how many years I've done this, and you're saying the same thing, you get a slow week, a slow month, a slow something. You go, is this it? Is this the end of the real estate world? Uh, obviously, we really felt it with um, the beginning of the pandemic because we really thought the it stopped. And like, it stopped. This could be the end of real estate as we know it. And then here we are two years, two and a half years later. But yeah, you know, I think that's one of the challenges that agents have to be able to be comfortable being uncomfortable because there's moments when you're in a commission business where you're uncomfortable when things get slower and you either could go into terror and follow your thoughts negatively all the way down to where they'll take you to a dark place where you're depressed and you're not going to be your best in that state or you take your approach, which is okay, it is a little tough and this is stressful. Let me analyze it. Let me try to balance between learning and analyzing what's going on and accepting that I have a little more free time. Maybe I can do something for myself to charge myself and make myself better. And that kind of gets me to my next question and, and train of thought here is, you know, what is your day like? What is a typical day like? When do you start it? How early do you get up? And you know, you have family, you have kids. It sounds like they may not be little ones anymore, but how do you manage a big business, a family life, your health and wellness and going skiing in the dog? You know, talk us through that a little bit. You get up at three in the morning. Is that how you do it? No, I'm a good sleeper. So I don't. I get up at about 6:30 in the morning. And I have learned I cannot look at my email for more than five minutes. So I literally get up and the first five minutes of my day is making sure there's no problem, no fire in my email. And um, assuming there's not, which there normally isn't, I will either swim or go walk. And so I need to get some quick exercise in. Um, Half an hour to an hour max is all I can spend doing that. I then hit my desk and read. And so that is my moment to just see what's happening in the world. I have a couple of favorite, um, you know, real estate sites that I like or news that I follow and then check in with my kids. So I have a 25, actually newly 26 year old and a 28 year old. Wow, you are way too young for that. Oh, you're very nice. You're very nice. But yes, Um, so they're both on the East Coast. Uh, and so I love catching up with my kids. Uh, and then I dive in. So by 9.30 every morning, I am straight into heavy work. Um, okay, and I'm going to have to stop for one second and let my dog in. Yes, my golden retrievers are going to drive me nuts. Hold on one second. We're going to hit pause. Intermission. Yes. <laughs> this is why I don't do the podcast from home anymore. I've learned... If I'm home, there's contractors, there's gardeners, there's dog walkers, there's nannies, there's oh neighbors. It, it's not so. I was just saying this is yeah. why I don't do my podcast from my home office anymore because I'm get I get bombarded way worse than this, and my dog's barking at everybody too. Yes, no. Well, I am. They are not used to just being left outside. I should have put them in. Right, to get back uh, anyway, to get back so back to my day. You so have, by nine, you have a yeah. very specific morning, which is really important. I mean, you, I you, do. You're kind of casually brushing by like it's no big deal, but like you're diving in at nine thirty. But you have three hours where you're like very specific and intentional about email, but only five minutes. I love that yeah. because I constantly have the battle of I want to put out fires, but I don't want to get sucked in for an hour and a half, and then I didn't do what I needed to do. And it sounds like you're really, again, disciplined about 
You're looking at the fires. If there is one, if there is or isn't, deal with it, move on and get to yourself, your fitness, your reading, you're bringing stuff to you and your family time and and boom. And then you're ready to go to war. (laughs) And then I'm ready. And then I'm reading in between. And, you know, I'm always at a desk by, I'd say, 830 um, at the latest. Um, and I found in order to work in exercise, you know, I have a, I have a wave pool that has a current in it at home. I can walk out my door and go on, you know, a very fast 45 minute walk or 30 minute walk. And, and I put my headset in or my earbuds in, and if I need to take a call, I take a call, but that's my time to quickly reset and try and see the trees through the forest. I then, um, and if I get that time, I'm actually much more creative. And when I'm exercising, I'm thinking about my day and my team and what's going on. And I love that time to be creative. I then, um, by 9.30, I need straight meetings. We do a lot of time blocking in my calendar. Uh, 8.30, by the way, every morning, I have a call with my assistant. So, when I finished exercising, I'm on with her, checking in on the day, reviewing the calendar, asking what her nuggets of the day are, telling her what I need to accomplish in the day. 9.30 is usually my first meeting and I go straight and I am all over the place. Um, I'm still on a lot of listing appointments. I'm on every, um, not every first listing appointment, the listing leads on my team are often on those. I'm on every second listing appointment where we strategize, where we share the market with the person, where we tell them what the pricing of their house looks like and why they should hire us. And then I have marketing meetings, operation meetings, technology meetings, client meetings, you name it. Um, I usually stop uh, at about, 6.30, 7 p.m. um, for dinner with my husband. We'll often head out for another quick walk. We then come in and the the rule is about one hour max of work. So I often am at a computer from eight to nine in the evening trying to figure out the next day or catching up or wrapping things up. So that's what it looks like on a good day. On a bad day, I'm at my desk even more, but um, that's a normal day. And yeah, you you have to be, you have to be. And don't get me wrong. I try and, you know, you do it. You try and mix in friends, clients, family, different things. But again, it's part of your life. So I try to organize it around it. And um, for me, I'm working really, really hard, much longer weekdays. Uh, And then I try hard to get Saturdays off. So that is my time by Friday night at six o'clock, I am turning it off. Our offer days are scheduled so that I'm looking at offers on Tuesdays and Thursdays and negotiating, but we try hard not to negotiate on Fridays. So Friday nights, I am usually out with family and friends. Friday nights, Saturdays, same thing, recouping, enjoying, being social. Sundays are often a hybrid, but, um, you know, never, never completely off on Saturday or Sunday, but I try that not to be my client days. You know, I've taken, it's taken me maybe all, all my career to get to what you're talking about mm-hmm. and Me too. <laughs> time for yourself, recharging, you know, that Saturday and sometimes Sunday and knowing mentally that at any time I am going to have to go into work mode, but really knowing also that I'm taking some time and the world's not going to end. And mm-hmm. uh, that's so important. That was a lesson that took me just years and years to learn to, for me to become a better business person a better husband, a better family, a better friend. I had to take that time. And it sounds like yes. that's something you're doing. And I know as a younger age and building a business, you don't always have that. And there are times now, and I imagine you too, where it's like, oh man, it's nonstop. You don't have a minute yeah. and you have to work on a Saturday and Sunday all day. And it just happens. Yeah. And But you'll know that you'll get back to your own time. And do you ever uh, you know, plan time away now and taking vacations I- and like downtime You bet. Yeah, you bet. I love vacations and I love, I actually like leaving the country. 
Because if I leave the country, I feel less guilty saying, I'm so sorry, I'm off. And so, yeah, I have a trip to Paris coming up with my daughter and we haven't, you know, we're at that age where all of our kids, um, I have a son getting married in October. My kids are both in weddings. I think we have five weddings this year. So we're just, um, we're at a really fun stage, but I do, um, I still do have to force myself to take that time. I always tell my team, if I come back from a weekend and I am crabby and I am tired and I did not get the weekend off, whose fault is it? It's my own. And so you can't really complain to anybody when you just sabotaged your weekend or when you did something or when you break your own rules. And so as an agent, I think we do a lot of that. And then you sometimes when you get a little time off, you even feel guilty. I feel like I have to justify it to somebody. And then I think, what is wrong with me? Yeah. You know, I work hard, long hours and I do not have to justify it. But it's what we do to ourselves yeah. in this business, um, this 24-7 business. But The other thing I've learned is the more that I let go and the more that I trust my team, the better they become. And they need to experience things and they need to work their way through challenges. They're lucky. They know I'm here. On the other hand, they're so capable. And so you're at a, I'm at a point in my career where I'm getting to watch my team thrive. And that is just as satisfying as closing that really exciting, challenging deal. And for me now, it's thinking back, stepping back, you know, what what is that succession plan someday? How do you create the best possible realtors you can create on a team? How do you help everybody on your team build wealth? How do you get to that next step? And I'm really enjoying trying to figure that out and trying to, um, you know, look at that as a really fun next step in this business. I'm also teaching a, a year-long course with realtors from all over the country, feel like I'm getting to give back, and that's also rewarding and interesting, a different phase. Well, you are just so exceptionally impressive on so many oh, levels and really are yeah. such an example of how you could have and run a big business and be a power broker, but also have a big life. And balance is always hard. There's never true balance, but figuring out through discipline and systems and being authentic to yourself and giving yourself the room to make mistakes and pivot and change. Mm-hmm. Like you really are an example of like what you could create and live, how you could live in this business and not let your business just run your life but you run your business to fit around your life and uh it's really really impressive and it's so hard to do and i know it's not uh something that was easy for you or anyone but uh, no and i'm far from perfect at it but i can now can now kind of laugh at myself like oh i did that to myself or you know you step back and say hmm my fault my fault um and you try and learn from it so again nothing is perfect But I think we're all works in progress and you have to give yourself a break sometime. But do everybody find that joy? Because when you have the joy, those years are so much happier than the years where you're tired and you're grumpy and you're, you know, this is how many hours you're working a day. And you really can't look at this career that way because it is different than anything else I've ever done. So different. It's so hard to explain Mm -hmm. to anybody not in it and who yes. hasn't done it for so long the psychology you need and the mindset the, oh the mental toughness but it's so funny mm-hmm. that you mentioned you take time off on you go on a vacation after working you know 70 80 hour weeks months yeah. on end and i feel that guilt too like oh my god am i allowed to even go on vacation and if i'm on vacation yeah. am i allowed to leave my phone in the room for three hours like i'm, mm-hmm. I'm guilty I, and then i'm like what am i doing to myself I've been working exactly. my ass off for years. Why can't, yeah. why can't I have a minute for myself or my family? It's and you can do it. And you know what? You learn. So I got smarter about creating systems. So, you know, I have somebody on call every weekend. Um, I have people. I forward my phones all the time. We have a schedule that that forces me 
now to do that. Yeah. And once you get used to that, and once you have a system in place, some of that guilt falls away. And um, again, if I don't forward my phones and I end up stuck on a Saturday because I picked up a call that turns into a two-hour call, my own fault. So um, that's kind of now my motto and how I live. Like, uh-oh, I sabotaged myself because we've set it up to make sure that I have breaks. Um, you also learn, though, you're so much better when you do take a break. Absolutely. You're clearer. You're a better leader. You enjoy things more. You laugh a little bit more than when you're so head down that, um, you know, you're just in that mode. And it's, I did, you know, I've had years and years in that mode where you have to learn to get out of that mode. For sure. You become so much better once you do learn that. Better received by your clients in the world and just, it's better for everyone. Um, it is. There's, I want to listen to this podcast 10 times in a row. There's so many good things you're saying. But before we wrap up, I'd love to just, if there's anything else you want to share, any advice you would have for agents that are new or growing their business or seasoned veterans or anything, anything you want to say before we uh, let you run off uh, to start your, your crazy, yeah. which I'm sure is waiting I for think, you. Um, it's interesting. I was listening to a podcast the other day and talked about intention. And I really think that anybody in this business should look at it as a business. So come up with your core values, come up with how you structure your days, plan, do things with intention, say yes to only those things you want to say yes to, um, and try, try to control and try to enjoy and try to look at it as something um, that you're growing. And again, big picture thinking. Yeah. Dana, thank you for spending some time on the deal and sharing with us. And I can't wait to send this out when it's done and listen to it many times. You are a true expert, thank professional, you. and very impressive. So thank you for, for dropping knowledge on us and spending some time you with us. You're welcome. And I'm sorry for the golden retrievers barking in the background, but um, there's, they're quiet and asleep now. So thank you again. I really appreciate the time and being invited to be your guest. Yeah. And hopefully we'll connect soon at the next compass of retreat or sometime before that. And let's stay in touch. Sounds Talk good. to you soon, Dana. All right. Thanks so much. Awesome. Bye -bye. Have a great day. Thanks a lot. You too. Well Bye. Bye.